Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We are going to wrap up this series, our, East, our Esther series today, and so we took a, a break last week and really enjoyed Steiger and, and Ben Pierce. That was, that was awesome. Those of you that came to the workshop yesterday, thank you so much. We, we had more than we anticipated. More, more, more people showed up than we expected. That's always a good thing, and they left excited. We all left excited, uh, but today... Uh, I'm going to put a bow on the book of Esther. This is the end of Esther. Many of our life groups in our church are, are walking through this book together and having great discussion uh, over, over the things that we've studied in the book of Esther. And of all the great things that I've heard, I've heard a lot of really great things about the book of Esther and different life groups and different individuals wrestling through some of the things. But above all those things, the one thing that has meant most to me is when my 14-year-old son, who is running a camera here today, he said this. He said, I really like the story of Esther. That was a cool idea to do this book. And when a 14-year-old son says that, that's a good call because we're a multi-generational church, right? And, uh, and we do our very best to always try to have impact on our young I don't know where he's sitting, but some are probably in that, that army of young people and young adults who we're so thankful for and the energy you bring on a Sunday morning and just the way you guys come together all the time. You guys, I'm serious, you guys are leading the way. The young people and the young adults who are leading the young people, you're leading the way and you inspire teamwork. Nick and Natalie, you guys are awesome. Thank you for everything you do for our young people, including one of those being my own, uh, my own son. As we've seen, this story of Esther is a story that points to a much bigger story. It really shines a light on who God is, right? We, we've seen that, that the, the, the providence of God, and we see that, that he's present even when he seems absent, right? We, we've seen that. We've also seen that he is the reverser of circumstances, but it doesn't end there, and that's exactly what we will look at um, today. So would you stand to your feet this morning if you're visiting with us? We don't stand up every time we read uh, from the text. We read from the text a lot, as you've seen, uh, but, but we do so on our primary text just because it's a reminder for us that this is God's holy word. And we, we believe with all of our hearts that, that God wrote uh, this through, through people and it was for them then, but we believe it's for us now. And we're going to read from the book of Esther, chapter 9, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible... We have Bibles out on tabletops. If you don't have one, we've purchased one for you. Please go grab one. Make sure you grab an English translation or Spanish if you prefer that. Uh, take that Bible. Mark it up. It's yours from us. We're so glad you're here with us. 9.22 says this. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other. I mean, you know, that's a good gift. And, pre and presents to the poor, it's a great gift. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. Let's pray. Father, we know your presence is in this room. We can feel your presence in this room. And we're, we're also reminded that in this moment, you're aware of every single person that's in this room. You could call each one of us by name. You love us. You are for us. You are not against us. 
And we know that you, uh, that you have a word for us today, God. And so we invite you to come and speak. God, I pray with me, you would just move me out of the way, that you would do your work, God, that you would take, take me as a vessel, just use me today, God, and, and, and help us all to grow in the areas of our life where we need growth. Speak directly to our life today. We know you will. We expect you to speak to us today, God. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open to you. And God, for the person who's in this room, who's contemplating never coming back, not to church, but even to faith, I, I pray you would touch them right now in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, amen. amen. All right, we're going to start out. I'm going to show you a picture. Put picture number one up there for you. So listen. I, I just want you to know this. I'm going to teach you something today, and I contemplated teaching you this because it's our goal that when we share the big so what, that would be the thing you leave with ingrained in your mind. The reason why I hesitate to teach you something about this goat here is because I don't want that to be the thing you remember throughout the week, right? So I'm just going to give it to you, but please don't let it stick, okay? It's just, it's just meant to be, but it's a truth. It's a truth. Take a look at this. This is this is a goat who lives at the Hoover Dam. Do y'all know that there are, I, I was going to say and then I felt bad. So I was just, y'all know that there are Hoover Dam goats, right? And they climb the Hoover Dam. Now, just so you guys know, just to give you reference, the Hoover Dam stands at about 725 feet or so. The U.S. Bank Stadium is about 95. So stack, stack six U.S. Bank stadiums, that's about the height of the Hoover Dam, right? And these goats, they climb the Hoover Dam. By the way, 90-degree angle, 90-degree. And they, here's, here's the truth bomb. You ready for it? This is how they do it. Number one, they have rubber hoofs. Everyone knows that. But secondly, the reason why have, they have incredible balance is because they have large inner ears. So that's their balance. So for all of you and me who have big ears, now you know we just have, God made us this way so we have better balance, right? <laughs> better balance, baby. So these, these goats have this balance because of their hooves and, and their inner ears are large, gives them these balancing. And this has nothing to do with the message at all. Other than, put the first photo up, now there's the second photo. You see that? So it's not just one, there's several. And they lick those, those crevices there because of the mineral salts that they get. Apparently, that's where the best salt is on 90-degree slopes, right? There's no, no salt anywhere else. Now, now, one more time, one more photo. One more. There it is. There, yeah. So, so, there's, so what I'm trying to say is Esther is a story that points to a much bigger story like we saw here. There's more to life than just the, the one go. You get it, right? Nothing to do with goats, everything to do with the book of Esther really does point to the bigger story. God is the reverser of fortune in the book of Esther, but the whole Bible is a story where a loving, living God reverses the fortune of humanity through his son Jesus. We see that in the book of Esther. We've seen it over the course of the last four messages in Esther that God reverses circumstances. Most everybody sitting in this room today is a recipient of the reversal that only God can do. Where would you be today if God had not spared your life? If God had not come and reversed 
your fortune. So today, we're going to do this quickly because we, we, we only have so much time. We're going to do a few things. We're going to recap Esther quickly, very quickly. We're going to just touch on, on Neil's last message on div divine reversal. And then we're going to go through some of the details of that reversal, which is chapter 9. And the festival that commemorates that reversal. And then chapter 10 is really where we're going to kind of tie the bow on the book of Esther. So quickly, and I mean quickly because all of these messages are online. If you have missed one or, or more of these messages, I highly encourage you to go to our website. They're, they're listed all right there. If you have a commute that's about 30 minutes, just listen to one. There's really no race to any of this. We want you to absorb all of it. So just go back and, and listen to this, this book again and, and learn it. Get it in your bones so you're aware that when God seems absent, you are certain that he is present. That's the whole point, that the book of Esther would get so inside of you that you would be reminded that when he doesn't seem present, I know he's there. He seems absent, but I know God is present. I know that God is present. So just very quickly, let me give you a few things. This story unfolds in 480 B.C. And what's interesting about this is that when the story is written, the Jews living in this story were all born into captivity. I think that's an important piece of the history. Now, Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians who were then taken captive by the Persians, right? So that's the context of, of what's taking place. Esther is our main character in this story, she's the beautiful Jewish girl who's, whose both parents are now dead, and she's being raised by cousin. Cousin is Mordecai, and Mordecai is also a Jew who is caring for Esther. Then we have Xerxes, our king, right? King Xerxes, who we know is very indecisive. He, he kind of presides over 127 different providences, right, from India to Ethiopia, the scripture says. And then we've got Haman. And I knew that there was going to be some of y'all. I knew there was some of y'all just, just waiting on that. And, and just so you know, we'll learn in the festival that they actually do that. They, anytime his name is, is mentioned during the festival of Purim, they actually do that. So if, if, it, if it scratches a niche for you this morning and you've always wanted to boo me, here's your chance. So Haman's this villain, the anti-hero, second in command in the Persian Empire, this great big empire. And this dude has some major issues, major issues. He has a deep hatred towards Mordecai because Mordecai is the guy that won't bow down to him. You're supposed to if you're second in the command of the king says to bow down, you're supposed to bow down. Mordecai refuses to do that, which then puts a deep rage in Haman toward Mordecai, eventually to all uh, the Jews. Haman... As in chapter 3, we see that Haman, if you're going to boo, boo. Y'all real Vikings fans up in here just. How would you boo if Aaron Rodgers walked up in this thing? Y'all hate Aaron Rodgers more than Haman? Haman tricks the king into signing a decree to annihilate the Jews. So listen, remember in chapter 3, Haman tricks the king because he doesn't like Mordecai into signing a decree that would anna an annihilate the Jews, kill the Jews, and really the plan to impale Shishkabob, Mordecai. Now, 
the troubles, this really deeply troubles Mordecai, and Mordecai goes into mourning, and uh, he encourages Esther, who is, just happens to be seated at the right table, to speak up. So our last message, two weeks ago, Neil spoke on divine reversal. And if you recall, uh, we'll look at this, but here's, here's Esther's courageous ask to the king. We'll pick this up, Esther 7. 2 and 3 says, on the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, and here's her courageous ask, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. Now keep in mind, they're all together here in this staff lunch, and Esther's a Jew. The king is not aware of that. So the king, after her request, would say, who, who would even do such a thing? Which is where Esther points to Haman, the guy who tricked you into signing a decree to kill all the Jews. He's that guy. And suddenly the king completely reverses the decree. Everything you planned for them, you will now receive. That 75-foot pole that was designed with Mordecai's name on it will now be the pole of your own fate. Completely reverses the fortune of Mordecai, right? So now let's take a look at the details. So we stopped at that point last week, and now here's some of the details into chapter 9 of that great reversal. Basically, this is how it went down. Esther 9, 11 through 14, that very day when the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa alone, he called for Queen Esther. He said, the Jews have killed 500 men in the fortress of Susa alone, as well as Haman's 10 sons. If they have done that here, what has happened in the rest of the provinces? But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me and I will do it. And Esther responded, If it please the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to do it again. Everybody say, run that back. It wasn't enough. Everything we did today, I want permission to do it again tomorrow as they've done today. And let the bodies of Haman's ten sons be impaled on a pole. So the king agreed and the decree was announced in Susa. And they impaled the bodies of Haman's ten sons. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March 8th and killed 300 more men, and again, they took no plunder. Complete reversal. Total victory. Oh my, how the tables have turned. And everything, everything we read points to the providence of God. If you recall, the name God is not written in this book, but there is no denying that the invisible hand of God is at work. And it's a good place to just remind you if perhaps in your life today you would say, 
I'm having a really hard time seeing God in my life. And I know there's some. Matter of fact, I know yesterday we had such a great turnout at the workshop. A lot of people came because they want to reach other people. Some people came because they had questions themselves. And that's okay. If you're here today and you say, I'm having a really hard time seeing God in my life. I'm busy, I'm doing things, but I'm having a really hard time. I'm facing circumstances, challenges that are so big, so tall. I'm having a really hard time seeing God. I just want you to know, man, he ain't absent. He's present. He's ever present. He's there with you, just as we see him here. Chapter 9 finishes with the celebration. That's the festive of Purim, right, to commemorate this great reversal. So this festival is extremely festive and joyous. Families will read the book of Esther at night and in the morning. They they make noise with noisemakers and they dress up in costumes and have a great festive holiday meal. So take Mardi Gras, house party, and maybe a Vikings tailgate. And that's kind of like the festive of Purim, right? And it and it happens every year, still to this day. It's like the second largest festival that, that, that the Jews celebrate. It's when they celebrate their relief, right, from, from the Persian Empire. And, and, and they celebrate, and they, they really, man, they go crazy. Day one, they had great victory. Day two, they had even greater victory. And then day three, they just straight celebrated. So here's the question that I have for them and also for you is, what happened after this reversal, after the party, when when everything was done, when the dust settled, what happened? How do we tie this book of Esther together and call it done? Like, what happened afterward, right? Um, Last week, let's start where we ended last week. The big so what, if you remember, was reversed to, to reverse, right? Our eternity has been reversed by the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now what? The eternal reversal is the thing here that I want to really focus on. What happens after salvation? What happens after salvation? Now, when a good movie ends, I hate when this happens, but I appreciate that it'll give at least some type of text update, right? So a movie stops, and then it says 15 years later, he had a family, and they grew up and were great people. And you're like, oh, okay, at least I know what happened with him, right? <laughs> That's chapter 10 of the book of Esther. Let's take a look at chapter 10. It's only, it's only four verses. It says this. King Xerxes imposed, imposed or enforced a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and all and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister. Wow. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister reversal with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem. But here's here's how we end Esther. This is going to inspire us today. What did Mordecai do after this great reversal? This is what he did. Because he continued, everybody say, to be continued. He continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. Mordecai, after this great 
victory, this amazing reversal of fortune, he could have just hung it up right there and said, you know what? My work here is done. Retirement, baby. This is it. Did you see what we just accomplished? Do you, everyone will never forget what we just He could have just walked away. He could have gone and just found something else to do. He could have done that. But we know because of chapter 10 that he did not do that. He actually continued to do good and to speak up. Life for Mordecai after reversal was he continued working for the good of the people and speaking up for their welfare. That's, that's for us. That's God's word for us right now, today. Life after eternal reversal. Life after salvation. After coming to know Jesus is living a new life. I have a grandpa, Grandpa Eloy and Grandpa Gilbert. My Grandpa Eloy received Jesus in his life at the age of 26 years old. My mother wasn't even born yet. My grandpa, Gilbert, gave his life to Jesus at the age of 33 years old. So for them, that's when eternal reversal took place. They didn't have the privilege of knowing Jesus all their life like I've known. Like maybe some of you were maybe born into the church because that's, you know, reversal took place in your family genealogy like prior to. But for us, it kind of happened midlife. Like, like my, my, my grandparents both had children already, and so... Their lives changed drastically. My grandpa Gilbert, man, he, he, was a, he was filled with rage, raging, alcoholic, extremely abusive, physically abusive. Uh, it was, he, life was not good. My dad's earliest memories as a child, not good at all. Most of them very, very bad. He was 15 years old the first time he walked into a church. The first time he experienced divine eternal reversal in his life and then what happens I have no idea when you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when you remember accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior when you exchanged the old life for the new life I don't know when that was for you but the question is what happens after that eternal reversal Mordecai continued to do good for us, when, when eternal reversal takes place, it's like, okay, that life, that mission, that purpose, whatever I was pursuing, that now comes to an end. And now I take on a completely new purpose, a completely new passion. Everything about my life is now different because Jesus has saved my life. Mordecai was faithful after reversal. He... He was filled with gratitude and stayed true to purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all of this, all of this redemption, all of the work you've done is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Reversal. And God has given us this task. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Reversed to reverse it's like you have to take off your life mission and put on his mission at reversal Ephesians 2:10 same writer different audience 
For we are God's masterpiece. We're the work of God's hands. You are the work of God's hands. He has created us anew, reversal in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We believe that when we are in our mother's womb, God spoke purpose into our life. Oftentimes I challenge people, what is it that God spoke into your life when you were in your mother's womb? Why did God create you? You ever ask the question, God, why did you create me? What were you thinking about when you created me? If you'll come to, to a place where you understand that and you do that, that's the greatest fulfillment known to man. It's when you take off your own life mission and you put on his mission. Reversed to reverse. This is God's design. I'll do a work in you. Then you join my team and my mission, which is people, becomes your mission. Now let me just park for a moment. This is really important to me. Take a minute to, to just, listen, reversals happen a lot in our life. It's been, I've had several times where I would say, God, thank you for turning the tables. I thought that was going to end much worse than, than it ended up ending. But it's hard to read this story when there's still some things in your life that have yet to be reversed. You know, it's hard to, to think, I've been... You know, maybe, maybe somebody's really hurt you. Maybe they have violated you. And I know that this, I'm not, I guess I need to come from it like maybe. I know, statistics prove that in a room this size, a third of the people sitting in this room are really dealing with the heartache of hurt from somebody who's yet to maybe be brought to justice. And it hurts you like it hurts me. And it's hard to move about in life helping others knowing this has yet to be reversed. When will justice come? When will this person pay for what they did? When will they have to deal with this? How can they get away with Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to tell you this. Listen, the best thing we can do so that we can live now in this gap from eternal reversal to final restoration when God will wipe away every tear. Until that moment, we have to trust God with the things that, we, that are yet to be done. It might not even happen on this side of heaven, but it will happen. It will happen. I just want you to know, if you're one of them like me, there's a Haman in your life or a few Hamans in your life and you're just like, you're not going to get, you can't get away with this. You cannot, this person cannot get away with this. These, these people can't, they can't get away with this. God, how can this continue to happen? And for some, it's been years and years and years. I just want you to know the best thing we can do is release it to God. Here's why. Here's why Romans 12, 19 says, dear friends, never take revenge. That's the only reason why we haven't. Do not take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. 
close your eyes for a minute. God, every person sitting in this room right now, this is a major struggle in their life. Give us peace and help us to trust you for justice, to pray for justice, but to trust it into your hands so that we can live our life right now full of joy. Help us. Help us. Help them. In Jesus' name. Listen, until the Lord returns, which gives us confidence to live today, until that moment where every tear is wiped away, until that blessed hope, until God comes for his people, until that happens, we live life on a mission. There's this, there's this you know, put the, put the graph up. If, if you would see this graph, there's eternal, the gap between I gave my life to Jesus and I'm now with Jesus. That gap our job is to live on mission, to take off our own purpose and to put on God's purpose and to reverse, to help, help people come to know Jesus. Our sole focus is to help people reverse to reverse. Our big so what today, this is what I want. I don't want big ears from goats in your minds. I want this in your mind. Big so what today is his mission, which we know is people, becomes your mission which is people. His mission becomes your mission. His mission, which is people, becomes your mission. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of me and you so that we can live our life on mission. It's so crazy. I hope you see this. Over the last span of six, seven weeks, all of this stuff is kind of like colliding. You get that? Ben Pierce comes up here yesterday and his whole talk is how do we talk to people about God? This whole book of Esther talks about the reversal of, of fortune. Reverse to reverse means we don't do the reversing, but we bring people to the reverser. We tell people about the reverser. We tell them about the hope found in Jesus Christ. I've heard for so many years, all my years in church, of men and women who can say, when I gave my life to Jesus, man, my life really took a different turn. It's never been the same. Your story is also part of a bigger story. Your story is the greatest tool you have to introduce people to Jesus. The story of when he reversed your eternity. So we want to make the most of our life and bring great kingdom impact into people. And that's how we're going to respond this morning to the book of Esther. I want you to stand to your feet right there where you're at. We're just going to do this right, right at our chair. The call is to continue, to continue. Take a moment, close your eyes, take a moment. Just think back to the moment you were introduced to Jesus. Just think back to that moment. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe think of the person who told you or the person who brought you or the preacher who preached or the neighbor who walked across the street and told you about Jesus, or maybe told your dad about Jesus, 
or maybe told your grandfather about Jesus. And then grandpa did something and it ended up changing your father's life and now it's changed your life. Or maybe it was an alpha, maybe it was at lunch in the park, maybe it was at youth group, maybe it was in kids. Where do you remember learning and surrendering your life to Jesus? And take a moment to thank God for that privilege of knowing him. God, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for the man who told my grandpa about you. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for using that man, that woman to bring my family to Jesus. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're like, I haven't done that. Or maybe you've drifted far away and it's been a while. Now would be the perfect opportunity to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you right now. I receive salvation as a gift from you. I lay down the mission of my life and I pick up the mission, your mission, God's mission. And now the collective prayer of our church body is, God, help us to live life on mission. You don't need to be behind a pulpit to do that. You don't need to be in a classroom where there's students learning from you. You know, you can be right there at work, interacting with your neighbors. God, help me to live life on mission, to continue to live my life on mission until the day comes when final restoration takes place and we are with you. Help me, remind me. I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to remind me all day long to live my life on mission, to have spiritual conversations, to point everything and everyone to you, God, to your goodness. You are the hope of the world. and We are ambassadors. We've been impacted by divine reversal and now we go about life differently we're inspired today by Mordecai after all the great victory to continue to do the good work for people and to speak up God help us to speak up for those who are less fortunate help us to speak up for those who are marginalized God give us more of an awareness of the needs around us God help us to live missionally listen if you're praying this prayer and you mean it with your heart would you just lift your hands just lift your hands God help us to live life on mission God give us more awareness help us to be more aware of the needs around us God God help us to feel the burdens of people God help us Help us to never get so focused on ourselves that we forget about other people. God, let it become a joy, a joy to share, to share our story of when you came and reversed our fortune, God. When you came and we were introduced to you and we experienced salvation, God. Let that become a joy. Let that become part of our second nature, God, it's just, we just do it, we just talk about, we just talk about, I'm talking about Jesus, I find myself talking about Jesus in all my conversations at work and at where I play and 
wherever I am, I just find myself pointing people to Jesus. God, help us to live our life on mission. Live our life on mission. Praise you, Father. Thank you, God, for this study through the book of Esther. Thank you, God, that even when it may seem like you are absent, we know that you are present. You are ever-present. You, your providence is amazing. It's awesome. We thank you for your goodness. Even when we've been unfaithful to you, you remain faithful to us, God. We saw that. We see that. We feel it. We experience it, God.